Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faceless Fly Fishing in Upland podcast. As always, I'm your host, Timber Pringle, along with my partner, Darcy Toner. Our guest today is Lee Knox, wildlife biologist with Wyoming's Fish and Game Department. Lee has extensive knowledge on bear behavior, and he'll share some of that with us today and advise on how we should handle different bear encounters. We will also take a few minutes to talk about land access and corner hopping in the great state of Wyoming. I want to thank our sponsors who make this channel possible. Orvis, for all your fly fishing, upland hunting, and dog needs. Shop at orvis.com or visit a fly shop near you. And Diamondback Truck Bed Covers. Protect your gear with the toughest truck bed cover on the market. And it looks great too. All right, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we're we're pretty excited to have uh, wildlife biologist Lee on the program today. Welcome, Lee. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we always kind of want to get an idea of where our guests are right now. So where are you talking to us from? Uh, the basement of my house in Laramie, Wyoming. Oh, nice. Um, we've been through Laramie, Wyoming. Um, a funny thing about, I don't know, well, as Canadians, we don't have this in, in Canada. I don't know if it's all across the States, but in Wyoming, you guys always have the elevation and the population on your city signs, correct? For the most part. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I don't know why we do that. Yeah. And it always seems like the elevation is uh, the larger of the two numbers. Is that the case in Laramie? Uh, oh no! Luckily, well, not, I don't know if it's luckily. Laramie's about seventy-two hundred feet. Uh, we're kind of in the high prairie. We're right on the transition zone, um, kind of where grassland starts turning into the sagebrush. Um, but we're high prairie in um, in a basin, kind of surrounded by three different mountain ranges. Uh, but we're with the college. I've never fully understood the census. We're about like, I think 31 or 32,000 people. So we're considered a big city for Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never th- known if that includes the students or not. I assume it's whoever took the the census. Cause it is remarkably quiet in the summer when all the, cause it's a university town. I should mm-hmm. say that Wyoming only has one college and it's the state state funded college, the university of Wyoming. Uh, so it's almost treated like a big high school or sports and stuff. It, it, it gets a, it gets a lot of support, but, um, I think there's about I had 12 to 15,000 students. Okay. Um, and they all, they take forever to leave in the summer, but they all show up in one weekend. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, otherwise summers are, they feel very, uh, mellow. Yeah, when um, we drove through there, was, was, we drove through there a couple times. We've been to Wyoming, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it amazed me how um, vast vast it was. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got a speeding ticket in Wyoming. <laughs> now that I this is how vast Wyoming is. Is that I got a speeding ticket in Wyoming, and um, I think it was like a hundred and twenty dollars. We were on our way back to the airport, and and um, I didn't have the cash on me. And because we were from out of state, yeah. out of the country, they wanted me to pay right there on the side. And oh, weird. Like, and yeah. And he's like, you got to pay. He's like, cause I don't think you're going to come back for the court date. Right. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that's true. Oh, I think, well, it, it's cause it's, he videoed it. So I think like the transaction and like counted it all out, like turn us his, no, like, it, it is yeah. true. It's happened to us in Montana too. Yeah. yeah. Not that I'm a crazy speeder. I just happened to get speeding tickets when I drive through the United States. That was like 12 years ago, the one in Montana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they drive you to the bank and then you're like, well, what would happen if I don't, didn't have the money? He's like, you'd go to jail. Yeah. Oh man, I want to ask about this because I just heard a creepy story about something like this in Arkansas. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Arkansas is creepy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I didn't. But I didn't know they did that here. Too. Yeah, they did it. Yeah, in <laughs> Wyoming. And he's like, and I was like, okay, so how far is the lo- farthest? Uh, ba- I was like, well, I need to go to the bank machine. And he's like, it's about an hour back the way you came. 
or about an hour and a half the other way. And I was like, Oh, and he followed you. Yeah. Followed us. Yep. And we got about half. Were you on the interstate? Um, no, no, we weren't. We weren't. We were kind of, huh. we came off the interest. We were going what? to Casper. We were going to Casper. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You got, you got hit probably by the Marshall and uh, Medicine Bow would be my guess. Yes. That's probably exactly what it was. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Darcy, try, so it goes in the bank, he gets the money out and then he goes to pay and he's just like, you know, it rounds up because it was like to the send. And he was like, Darcy, like, keep the change. He's like, well, I can't do that. You have to go back in the bank and get exact change because yeah. he's like, I'm a public servant. Like, I can't take. He couldn't. He couldn't just take the extra money. Yeah. <laughs> I had to like break out to the last dollar, you know. So it was crazy. Needless Anyways, to say, Wyoming. we barely made the plane on time. Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. Yeah. That's my Wyoming oh. getting pulled over. Yeah. Well, starting. so for people. Well, for people listening, yeah, there's nothing hardly between Laramie and Casper, Wyoming, except for Medicine Bow, Wyoming. And there is a uh, sheriff and a U.S. marshal station there because of all there's a, it's kind of booming again with uh, wind energy. It's getting a lot of wind farms. So it's, it's just a lot of people. So anyway, they put extra law enforcement in there. And if you speed coming into or leaving the town, you will likely get a ticket. Yeah. If you're from out of state or out of country, you better have cash. Cash, yeah. <laughs> and you better have some cash in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, so that kind of takes us, uh, we're going to talk about uh, bear safety and stuff, but we might as well talk a bit about Wyoming and, and kind of public access. And and uh, a lot of our, a lot of people that listen to us are, are well, they're pretty much all fishermen and hunters and um people are always interested in both land access and kind of how does it work in Wyoming as far uh, as access yeah, to so, and stuff? Yeah. So it's definitely something you want to pay attention to. And, and that's changed uh, a lot with all these new apps that kind of help you out with uh, what is legally accessible and what is not. Uh, so like, like most of Western United States, we have, uh, state lands, uh, and then we have federal lands. State lands, you have to be very careful because the rules change in every state. And, the, and even though uh, you know, I, most people consider those public lands, the state does. The states do not necessarily treat them as such. Um, so you definitely got to read up on that when you enter different states. For the most part, in Wyoming, state lands are publicly accessible, and if they're and if they're not, they're usually posted. You cannot camp on state lands. That is the one caveat, uh, which can be kind of a pain. And then we have BLM lands, which is Bureau of Land Management, which is uh, you know all the all the lands during the the growth of the United States that nobody wanted, and uh, they ended up in the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, and then we have national forest and, and some, some Bureau of rec, which Bureau of rec is also kind of treated as just public land unless otherwise posted. You'll find a lot of that, especially if you're fishing, uh, on some tailwaters, uh, in access, like in, uh, Western Wyoming on the green river, uh, between the town of green river and like seats, there's quite a bit of Bureau of rec. Um, and as well, uh, up near the miracle mile, those are all considered public. Uh, the the confusing part is how you legally access some of those and 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 just in general um in wyoming to legally access public land it has to be a publicly maintained road uh so if you're ever in question or can you can you can look up in the on the county webpage uh for the most part and they'll have like a road and bridge map of the road that they maintain and those are the legal county roads because it also gets confusing where um, sometimes they're, they're county roads and, and they don't get used anymore. They're hard to maintain and they'll decommission them and you'll be driving down them. And then all of a sudden there'll be a, a sign that says end of public maintenance. So it, it's no longer a public uh, road after that. And it kind of depends on the landowner because um, Google, just Googling something will get you in a lot of trouble. Um, when we had the, eclipse the peak of the eclipse uh passed through 
north of Medicine Bow, like Miracle Mile, for those for fishermen probably know where that is. And uh, we got overrun with Colorado. It was it was, it was uh, quite amazing. It, it um, kind of a weird thought, but it did make me think that if we ever had a zombie apocalypse, uh, that that's what would happen to us. Like Denver <laughs> would be here in no time. <laughs> it happened so fast, and there were so many like thousands of people in the middle of nowhere. You're like, oh wow. Um, we're, we're close to Colorado. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, people were lost everywhere because they were just Googling it. Uh, and then Google Maps would send them down all sorts of private roads. Um, and then service would turn off. There's people lost everywhere in some pretty crappy places. Um, anyway, so, so just, you gotta, you kind of do have to do a little bit of research where it's not all contiguous public land. Um, how are, land so the most, how are landowners in, Wyoming, that's a, such a general co- question, question to ask. But generally speaking, are they okay with access? Like when you approach them? Uh, it really depends. So the, typically the ones that are, it's either posted or uh, the Wyoming Game and Fish has an access yes program where uh, we can sign up private property into walk-in fishing areas or walk-in hunting or, or we also have what's called a hunter management area hunter management areas come with a, a, like a lot more rules on what can and can't be done um but otherwise they're typically real enrolled in access uh, walk-in areas uh, which provide a lot of access to different fishing areas you know and, and like it really depends uh land ownership frankly is changing um properties are just getting expensive and you were losing that generational, um, you know, handover from ranch to ranch. And, you know, when you can sell out for 28 million, the only other person that can buy that is somebody that owns billions. Um, and so they typically, we typically lose access in those scenarios. Um, but there's still places like on the green river where it's all grazing association, uh, you know, around the town of green river, and so it's, it's uh, so it is where I started, started explaining the checkerboard, uh, which is if you look at a map of Wyoming, it looks literally like a checkerboard, except for the colors are white and yellow. And this is due to the railroad. When the railroad was built, um, I'm probably going to get the actual mileage wrong, but the government which is probably excessive. Like if there's one thing I could change in time, it'd be this because it's a pain in the ass. Um, they gave, gave the railroad 10 miles each side of the railroad. And so they took every other section so that they then controlled 20 miles each side of the railroad. Um, so it creates a swath through Southern Wyoming of checkerboard of, uh, essentially inaccessible public lands, but there are places still like Mount green river where it's also a pain for grazers. And so they just form a grazing association and, and kind of divide it up and share it. And at least for now, all you have to do is get a permit from those guys and you can, you can fish or hunt anywhere within the grazing association. Um, so I, I would say it, it just really depends I'd say a lot of people are starting to get afraid of asking for permission from landowners. And frankly, like we still have a lot of good people, um, you know, ranching on the landscape and it's, it's always worth asking. Um, but that does lead into, you know, Wyoming's been in the spotlight recently over what we call corner crossing. Uh, and that is where the idea that you could step from one corner of BLM to another corner of BLM and walk through. It's a real gray area that none of the Western states seem to want to touch. Um, so in Wyoming, there's some guys from Missouri. And frankly, if you want to learn more about this, there, there's several podcasts that go in great depth on it. I think Meat Eater, uh, as well as Randy Newberg, go into extreme depth on all the different details of it. But some hunters, uh, two years in a row, found the corner marker uh so the actual survey marker to these two sections and uh used that to cross uh to go hunting um so where it gets interesting as far as you know what game and fish is concerned it's typically not our it it does not fall within our jurisdiction 
uh, because if if the unless if it is harvested on public land and they just carried it supposedly through the airspace of private land, that's a criminal trespass. So it, that falls within the sheriff's department, not the game and fish department. So you you won't necessarily see us writing these tickets. Um, so that's what happened in this case where the sheriffs came out. Um, they wrote a criminal trespass. And these guys went to court uh, in Carbon County, <clears throat> and it was a jury, uh, and the jury found them not guilty, um, which is very interesting. It does not set a precedent that you can't corner cross and get a ticket still. Um, to have precedents, it would have to go to the federal court mm-hmm. or to um, the much higher level. Because all it really did was just say that what they did wasn't illegal, but if somebody else did from another location, it could potentially be illegal. Yeah. hundred percent. So it remains a gray area until it gets pushed further. There is, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but the, the landowner did, uh, press, um, actually at criminal charges and then they got, um, civil. Oh, Civil, yes. So there's still a civil court case, and that did get pushed up to the federal level, and that still has to happen. And I don't know if that'll have the president setting that it should. Um, for folks that want to be able to corner cross, frankly, they kind of needed to lose so that then it could be pushed up the court. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it's- yeah. And, and I mean, frankly, and maybe it's because I work for the Wyoming Game and Fish. Um, there's some areas where it's just, it's either contentious with landowners or it's small little pieces, um, where it gets kind of gray on how you can get in there and get out of there. And, and, and to me, it's just not worth the headache. And like, you can probably corner cross and, and you end up like these guys, but it doesn't mean you won't have to go to court like them. Like it doesn't mean there won't be headaches associated with it. Um, it's it's really weird because the whole idea is that you're invading airspace. Uh, so I don't. I, hopefully someday it's, it's it, it seems ridiculous. And someday hopefully it's resolved. But um, that was good. What I was going to ask you yet. is, is what, like from your standpoint, it, it, I, I'm thinking about if like that was the case here, and like I had been corner crossing and doing the odd, you know, maybe thing that's in the gray area of access and. And if somebody pushed that, especially somebody from out of state, I would be like, oh, just let it be, just let it be. Cause it's not that big of a deal and it could potentially backfire on a, a lot of, yeah, a, a lot of people with the spotlight being on it. It would be like, you know, it's like, you don't want to ruffle the feathers kind of thing. Right. So not to say that yeah. all, so, I mean, go ahead. Why well, don't, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't think these guys were necessarily wrong in what they're doing. I mean, that, that oh, no, this no, was no. fully within their rights to test the boundaries, but that landowner did remove all his walk-in areas and hunting hunter management areas, um, from public access. And, and they were the only access areas in that elk unit. Mm-hmm. So we did, we did lose access over it. Um, you know, if people want to, if corner crossing had all of a sudden become legal, we, there would be more access than what he was permitting. But, um, we did lose some access over the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, also, I in like Wyoming, they landowners also own like the riverbeds too, right? Like uh, the bottom of the river. Yeah, because when we, yeah, so that's always been interesting. Oh, say, go ahead. When we were when we were in Wyoming, we were I can't remember which which river we were fishing there on Brush Creek. I can't remember. No. And uh, I hooked a fish. I went to like jump out of the boat, and the guide was like, "Oh my god, you can't get out here! Like you can't touch the bottom of the ground." <laughs> He's like, especially right here, this landowner he patrols on his like quad, and I was like, "You can't touch the bottom of the ground of the river." He's like, "No, you got to get back in the boat." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's crazy!" Because yeah. here it's. High watermark. That's yeah. what we have. Yeah. yeah. The entire country. Yeah. Yeah. In, Mon- in Montana's like that. Um, I don't know if that'll ever get pushed or not either. Um, Cause it is, it is a pain in the butt. Uh, 
But yeah, so the people have brought up that, well, if it's airspace, then how is stepping over a corner different from floating a river over private property? Um, mm. you're right, in Wyoming, you can't, you can float it. You can't even anchor. Um, so I bet, I don't know if you guys took a guide or not, but he's, if you did, he was probably dang good at, at, uh, staying in eddies so you could fish, uh, fish some of the, the seams and, and riffles yeah. cause you can't drop anchor. No, he didn't drop anchor, but they did own sections where we could stop. Yeah. In between. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had access above upstream. We had access above, upstream and then downstream, like at the t- put in and the takeout. They had access at both ends. It just, uh, there was a section that we floated through that was private, a private rancher's land. And, and he didn't appreciate it. You no, know, he didn't appreciate it at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 20 years ago when I was in college before Brush Creek bought all that, there used to be a riffle that, uh, it's called Millie's Riffle. It was named after Millie Sanger. Uh, and the, the story was is that she would also kind of patrol the river on the weekends with a shotgun. And these poor guys raft popped or something and they had to go to the shore. And so she held one guy at uh, shotgun point while the other guy walked to the county road to get cell service to call for help to get their raft out. <laughs> um, and so it was always known like, like you, you weren't stopping there. Like you weren't setting foot. You're, you're getting through it. It was dang good fishing, but you didn't linger. No, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, sh- a shotgun's a, 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 a good um, persuasion device, I suppose. You know, keep you honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So who do you, so uh, I think we kind of skipped over this. We talked about Wyoming before I got a chance. So who, so you work for the state of Wyoming? Yeah, so I work for the uh, Wyoming Game and Fish, which is the state uh, wildlife agency. And I'm a, a wildlife biologist uh, based out of Laramie. Hmm. And there, one of the uh, another reason why we brought you on was to talk about bear safety. Actually, we had a bear encounter this last weekend yeah, here. But, yeah, less than a week ago. Yeah, yeah. We we saw cinnamon mom mom with two cubs, one cinnamon colored and one black colored, which was super. Interesting. It's the first time I we've had seen cinnamon bears down there, which is like a, um, like a brown black bear. Um, yeah, I we I definitely seen some of their her relatives before, but we hadn't seen the cubs. And and I guess I, I would I never thought about this, but you can get sometimes you can get cinnamon and sometimes you can get black bears. But um, I think what we kind of wanted to start with was go ahead, Timber. Oh, what what did we want to start with? For the for the bear safety. So, um I didn't think you had a question we were starting with, but um okay, let's just say you're you're out there and like if you run into a grizzly versus a black bear kind of what are the, you know, what is the course of action that you're going to take? Is it different between the two species of bears? Oh, very much so. And just in general, like, I mean, how, how to think about them is very different. Um, so I, and I've worked with, with both. Um, we do not have grizzly bears in Southeastern Wyoming. Uh, grizzly bears are almost exclusively in Northwestern Wyoming, uh, in the like greater Yellowstone Jackson Cody areas. Uh, we are starting to get, um, much like Montana, we're getting males, which you know you don't really have an expanded population so you have breeding females showing up it's usually adult males that you catch out wandering into into new mountain ranges and places but we we are starting to get those um you know all the way through the wind rivers um we have grizzly bears showing up near kimmer which is the, the southern end of the wyoming range um so they're they're expanding, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean the total population starting to expand. But it's it's becoming more important to to understand, you know, how to be in grizzly bear country. Uh, I, one of my seasonal jobs, I spent two years working on the grizzly bear research team in Wyoming, trapping grizzly bears uh, and putting radio collars on them. Um, so that's that's most of my experience with grizzly bears. I've done some hunting uh, in grizzly bear country, and definitely fishing. Um, now, 
I mostly deal with problem black bears. Uh, so we'll definitely get into that because I see all sorts of stupid stuff. I would, I would say, I, I, I would say I, 99% of all the black bear problems I deal with are people problems, not necessarily bear problems. Um, but I, I think it's important to understand uh, when, when we talk to kids, this is kind of how we always explain it, that grizzly bears evolved in the prairie ecosystem. Um, you know, they were, they were very much tied, you know, so like that movie, the revenant, uh, that just came out that was filmed in, you know, the beautiful Canadian Rockies, mm-hmm. um, like that took place in Nebraska. Uh, it did, it did not happen in the mountains. Uh, you know, it's a true story about the, uh, you know, mountain man, Hugh Glass, uh, during the, um, early 1800 fur expeditions, through Wyoming and he was mauled by a grizzly bear in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska, which is really hard to believe now because it's all corn. Um, but that's where they evolved. They, they were, they were riparian prairie species. Um, you would have seen grizzly bears and bison and elk out in, out in the prairie. Uh, so they, they, when you look at their claws, you know, even, I guess they look intimidating. They're much longer than a black bear, uh, but they're very similar to a badger. Um, I mean, the claws have evolved for digging. Like they're they're made for digging up roots, bugs, and gophers. Um, not like slashing, you know, like like a Wolverine from X Men or something. Like they're, they're tools for digging up the ground. Um, whereas black bears evolved in a, in a tree landscape, and so they have these very sharp, curved, almost cat-like claws uh, for climbing trees. And so if a black bear is threatened by something, they, they can go up a tree and that's, they have that option to remove themselves from that situation. The way grizzly bears evolved, if you're on the prairie, there's no way to remove yourself from that situation. And so even though you're grizzly bear, there's black bears bigger than you, there's grizzly bears bigger than you. Um, you're not necessarily just the top of the food chain. So your reaction is you either you either let the threat come to you or you bluff charge it and remove the threat. And so that is how most grizzly bears behave. Um, so it's, it's two very different scenarios where, where grizzly bears are just more, more quick to react, to bluff charge you or try to get you to be removed as a threat. So that, that that's important when you run encounter these two different species, uh, when you're in the mountains, I mean, with the caveat, I will say that, uh, the vast majority of grizzly bears I've ever run into, um, on the trail run away. I, I've personally never had a bear bluff charge me. They've all run away. Um, it does seem like it's a small percentage of grizzly bears that'll do that. And it's usually a situation with cubs. Um, most of the incidents or maulings, at least in Wyoming that I've, and I would even say Montana, that I've read usually either involve, involve um, sow with cubs or uh, meat cash um, where either somebody did not know that there was a stashed, you know, deer, moose, elk, um, or it's a hunter going back to get his elk and a grizzly bear has already taken it. Um, and so those are the two scenarios where they, they're, they're very aggressive. Uh, but part of what I did as a seasonal also is we were setting up trail cameras where we'd set up, um, like and basically it was a non food reward that it, it was rotten blood, which is about the grossest thing I think I've ever dealt with in my life. You put anticoagulant in it so it doesn't coagulate and then you just let it rot. And it's the stinkiest stuff ever. And you can put it in milk jugs and then you just, you can uh, cut holes in them and hang them from a tree. Uh, and then we would set cameras up and just document grizzly bear presence, absence in different parts of Wyoming. And there's definitely an attitude shift, like attitudes where some will come in and they just get bummed out and you can tell like they're sitting on their butt, just like almost sad, uh, and then wander off. Um, like it depresses them that they can't get to it. And then, you know, one out of 20 bears will come in and instead of getting sad, he just gets angry and tears the shit out of the place. Um, so I think, I think there are some, like there's some behavioral stuff to it as well. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll just start off with 
with grizzly bears, um, it's, it's always smart to bring bear spray. You know, there's a lot of talking, you know, wind affects it. There's a lot of things that affect it, but it, it, it saves more lives than people probably know about. Um, because they just don't get as reported as, um, when people use firearms in incidences, um, there, there is, I think there is some studies out there where like, you know, once a bear has been sprayed so many times, um, its effectiveness does go down. Um, but bear spray is a very, very effective tool. Uh, it's, it's oil based. Uh, so it sticks to the mucous membranes, to your eyeballs, your nose, your lungs, your mouth. Um, and so what it does for, for grizzly bears, you have to think about like, you know, the, the way, you know, sows treat their cubs is you just, they smack them and that's what you're doing. Um, so like when they charge in to remove, you know, remove you as a threat, you're smacking them with that bear spray and you're taking away all their senses and, and to have them turn around and run away. Um, and it can be very effective. Uh, what you, you do not, you don't spray it just in the air in general. It, it, you, you can shoot it and you don't dump the can. You spray it in small bursts or clouds. Um, and you shoot it at an angle to you so it'll hit the ground and kind of bill up in a cloud so he'll run through it. Because when they charge you, their head's really low to the ground. And most grizzly bears are not as big as people want them to be. Um, like a, at, least, at least in the lower 48, you know, a 500-pound grizzly bear is a monster. Like the five to 600-pound male grizzly bears are just monsters. Most females are in the like probably 250 to 350, 400 tops maybe. Um where most males are more likely in that 350 uh, to the upper end, 550. Um, so they're they're not like these 800 pound monsters. Everybody wants makes them out to be. Um, but yeah, I, I I would carry bear spray um, if you encounter one. You just don't want to seem like a threat because uh, you don't want to be you don't want to be removed uh, if you're threatening them. Um, so just you know talk calmly. If if there if there if there's a bear like a hundred yards off just like digging in a stump or something or you minding its own business and it doesn't know you're there yet, I would not yell at it. Like I would just slowly back away and leave. Like he's not going to come hunt you down. Um, but if you startle him, he might come at you, and, and then you got to deal with the bluff charge situation. So if, if you're hiking down the trail or something, you come around and there's a bear and he hasn't seen you yet, I would just slowly remove myself. Um, I would not yell at that bear. Um, you think that's if you come around a corner, there is a. You think that's a ahead. mistake that people often make is they they do try to yell at that bear to get it. They kind of have their direction. They're like, if I make some noise, I can get this bear to take off and continue to go where I want to. Yeah. Oh man, I I I don't know if I would force a grizzly bear to move too much unless it's a big open space and pretty far away now if you come around the corner it's 100 yards away and it sees you or smells you then i would i would um i would you got you know you kind of you don't make yourself look big you don't like you see people like throw their arms up and everybody starts yelling at it and stuff like you you just don't want to be threatening if for some reason the bear's like curious or something coming at you i might start yelling at it more than um because you don't want it coming necessarily at you. But if it's sitting there trying to figure out what you are, I wouldn't immediately uh, try to threaten it. I would just talk to it and slowly remove myself from that situation. But if, if it like got curious and started walking towards me, um, I might start yelling then, and I would definitely be getting my bear spray out. Yeah, and I would what, also at what probably... Point like, you, well, at what point do you kind of like give a little spray? Like the, You said it comes in like bouts. What, when would you deploy first a little bit of bear spray? Uh, I mean, soon as it bluff charges, but if it's getting freaking close, like, um, you know, 50 yards, they can cover 50 yards so quick. Mm-hmm. I would just be slowly walking away. If there's other people in my group, I just have them start walking away. Um, and you, and you can start backing up as it's coming to you. And, and long as it's not windy, that cloud will hang there for a while, but you could just shoot a, shoot a cloud and just keep backing away. So it has to walk through it. Um, and just keep talking to it and just keep trying to remove yourself from that situation. I, I think a lot of people don't realize w- that it doesn't f- fire as far as you think it would. Right. I think it's maybe about no feet, feet. Like, I mean, I should, I guess I should. Yeah. You guys are Canadian. Our, our state no, vet fine. is Canadian. It's always funny. Um, the way you guys say O's and about and our discussions <laughs> over feet versus meters. Um, or, 
process, process, process over process. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're talking like 15, 20 feet max. Mm-hmm. I mean, close, uh, 10, yeah, 10 yards, maybe. I mean, yeah, I mean, not even 10 yards. It, it's pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. So, and you can spray it and keep backing away to keep your distance. Yeah. yeah and you, do you, um, what's the, what, uh, what's the big mistakes that people make with black bears as far as, as their interactions with them? What are some of like the um, key things that are people are doing wrong, so what, which increase and, it? Yeah. Yeah. What happens when you see a black bear versus a grizzly bear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I would say one more caveat with the grizzly bears is, is I have had, I, I mean, carrying a firearm is not a bad idea because it, it is a really good uh, last minute safety measure. Um, and it, but if you're going to carry a firearm, you need to practice with it and, and bear spray or a firearm, they need to be very accessible. They can't be in the water bottle pocket of your backpack. Um, they can't be somewhere you have to then find it. Like you have to look, it, it has to be incredibly accessible. Um, if not deployable from like a chest harness or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we ours can happen quick. We have ours on a belt on the outside of our waders in like a little holster there. Pointed forward. Yeah. Pointed forward so that yeah, we yeah, can so that's pull because then you can waist. just you can just pop it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Um one of my buddies, he's 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 learned a lot since but his first year working on the Grizzly Bear crew when we were doing um these camera traps. He was going and checking a camera trap and he was on this trail and um all of a sudden there's a grizzly bear in front of him and it just it just went straight to charging him. And his bear spray was in a water bottle pocket on his backpack and he couldn't get to it. And he just jumped over this big uh, blow down log. And so he bailed to the other side of it. He had his pistol on his hip. Um, but even then it just happened so quick. He just jumped over the log and the bear started tearing the other side of the log. And so he, he just fired his pistol kind of over his head to scare it away. And it did seem to work. And the bear, bear eventually stopped tearing into the log and walked off and then, he started going down the trail and the bear was there and um, he sprayed it. Um, but in that instance, like it happened so quick and he just wasn't in the mindset, but he didn't, his bear spray was not accessible. Um, I've also had friends though where a bear is like a hundred yards away or so, or, or kind of in the distance and they just fire a shot to scare it off. And just the noise from that, sometimes they run away, but sometimes it's enough to like make yourself a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't always work either. Um, black bears running into black bears i'm not even though i mean statistically they they harm more people than grizzly bears and i think it's just the sheer number of them uh but i'm, I'm definitely not that worried about black bears mauling me near as much um I'm, I'm i personally am a lot more aggressive with black bears like if it's a sow with cubs i will give her a, a ton of space um and treat it a little bit more like a grizzly bear um uh, but even then, most of the time they run up a tree. So if, I mean, if you run into a black bear that's just kind of like hanging out in the middle of the trail and like isn't running away, I I wouldn't. I mean, I'd have bear spray ready, but I'd have no issues yelling and um, making myself look large and screaming at that bear and throwing stuff, or even even moving towards it. Um, you can you can bluff charge bear black bears quite a bit. Um, the which is probably good because they, they, they are, they get used to people far more easily and that's when they become a problem. Um, but there's also a point though, where like they, they start, if they're acting, um, odd, cause we start, I, I'm starting to deal with these issues just with these problem bears where they'll get food rewards. So, so grizzly bears keep their cubs, uh, for two years. And that's why it can be kind of crazy. You could run into a sow with, uh, one or two cubs or like that famous bear in, in Jackson, four cubs or whatever. And at two years old, they're like 130, 140 pounds. So it looks like a pack of grizzly bears. Um, but black bears kick their cubs out as yearlings. Uh, so they're, they're born in the den. They're cubs of the year the first summer. They den with their mother one more time and they come out as a, as a one-year-old and the mother kicks them loose. And they're like, at least in our world, they're, they're little, like 50 to 80 pounds. They're like the size of a lab. And they get into a pile of trouble as they try to figure life out. Um, and they'll get food towards in. And, and sometimes people don't call us or they don't address the situation because they're tiny and cute. And then they come back as two-year-olds. And then they're kind of like, 
jackass teenagers, um, but they're still not that big. And so they're not always dealt with, but there eventually becomes a point where, uh, especially with the males, all of a sudden they're like three, four years old and they hit maturity and they're so habituated to people that they just, they're, they're assholes. Um, so they'll just start, you know, you can just tell like by their demeanor that they don't care about your presence and they just start walking. Like they would walk through you to get to the garbage or whatever. Um, at that point I would treat them far more like a grizzly bear because they've lost all fear of people. Um, and it's a lot of just paying attention, I guess, to animal behavior. But if, they, if it's a bear standing there and he's looking at you, you yell at it and it just starts walking at you like it doesn't give a shit. I would, I would start treating it like a grizzly bear and I would spray him and I would start trying to remove myself from that situation. Yeah, I just think about you. You kind of, I guess, you'd have to treat it like you would a dog, I guess, or any animal for that matter. It's like if it doesn't, if you get a sense that it's not afraid of you, then you should be afraid of it, kind of thing. So, yeah, you always want to. Oh, 100 percent. And and what kind of mistakes are people doing, like in general, with like causing these problem bears for you? So yeah, yeah, a lot of it is. Uh, just these, these mountain cabins, but it, we have a lot of camper issues as well. Um, so the, <clears throat> I'd say the craziest thing anymore is, uh, so I don't forget it is always lock your doors when you're in the mountains, because I always thought it was a Colorado problem because they don't remove that many bears. We have a pretty strict policy on bears. We get them. We give them a couple strikes if it's just uh, kind of human problems, getting into bird feeders, uh, barbecue grills, stuff like that. We'll move them a handful of times. Uh, but if they break into cars, houses, um, just seem to have lost all fear of humanity. We we euthanize those bears. Uh, whereas Colorado, they have so many bear problems, and they they move bears around so much um, that we were down in. Uh, Oh, Estes Park a couple of years ago, and it was like 30 or 40 something houses had been broken into over the weekend by bears. Um, it, it, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Um, but they, we have bears. I'm sorry to say, they'll, they'll eventually learn how to just pop car doors. They just start walking around the car and like feeling, and also they're popping, popping a car door. And I've had two incidences where the, the cars were totaled because the bear went inside and then the door shut and they couldn't get out and then they start digging and then they hit an airbag. And then when the airbag goes off, they're pissed and they, they gut the car. Absolutely gut it. Like it's just sheet metal inside by the morning when you show up. And so they get, um, they rip out like the roof or something. Like how do they get out? Uh, one, I don't know, one eventually broke a door and got out. The other one was in the suburban when we got there. Like it was still there. It never oh, did no. get out. Uh, you know what? I can yeah, say, but those I can vehicles say, were I can totaled. A lot of the times I don't lock my doors. I feel like I'm pretty bare aware and both of us kind of feel like I like I make usually the right decisions. We spend enough time in the backcountry, but I will say honestly that I don't lock my door a lot of the time when I'm out fishing and stuff. I'm always like it's just more of a pain. Like I never, I don't leave. I never did. I, I don't leave anything in there. If I want to lock something in the back of my, my, uh, the back of my truck, I will. I'll lock the back of my truck, but never the doors. Cause I have my dog with me and stuff. So I'm letting the dog kind of, you know, it's easier so for like, me to if, just, if they get wanted it back something, the if they wanted something, they'd get into our vehicle. Yeah, like, I'm like, so. I'm, I'd rather they didn't smash my window, you know, like a, the supposed thief. I'm like, I don't think there's too many thieves running around the wandering around <laughs> trailheads and stuff like yeah. that Not to say that there isn't. But so I was always like, it's, I don't lock my doors, but I never thought about bears getting in there. Right. Like I've heard of bears yeah. obviously breaking into vehicles, but I will definitely lock my vehicle doors from now on for sure. Yeah. I do. I deal with it every year now. Um, so it's, it's not that uncommon of a thing. It's pretty crazy. And the funny part is, is when you start posting like, Hey, there's a bear around, he's been breaking into cars. Like, just make sure you lock your stuff up. Um, people are like, Oh, that's crazy. Like I came home the other day and the door was just open. I thought that was the weirdest thing. And so sometimes it works out. Like they, people, they just open the door and go in, eat a Snickers bar and leave. And nobody ever knows. Um, Amazing. but there, like, a, there's been a couple of occasions where the door shut and it does not go well. Um, 
we were dealing with the Barrington area where this was happening. Um, where there's, it was crazy. It was, it was funny. It was Centennial, Wyoming, and there was just car doors being left over all over the place. Um, and they did total one truck. Uh, but he eventually made it up to a campground, and there's his family from Colorado in a sprinter van. And the kids were sleeping in the van, and the parents were at a fire right next to the car. And the bear didn't care about the people, walked right between the fire and, and straight to the van and opened the door. Uh, and luckily, the mom had the car keys in her pocket and hit the alarm and then locked the door. Um, so it just kind of goes from like, oh, man, you might get your car totaled to like, now people sleep in their cars. It gets really sketchy. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's all food reward based. So it's... Uh, so like, well, I guess cabin wise, people leaving out, especially hummingbird feeders, bird feeders out on their deck, uh, barbecue grills. Um, and then from there it gets kind of dog food, leaving dog food out on the porch. And then it gets kind of worse, like storing, um, bird feed in plastic totes, which are obviously not bear proof. Um, Oh, chickens, uh, in the mountains and not, you know, no electrical fence or anything. Food's not stored in a lockable container. Um, garbage isn't put up at night. And so they just start getting these food rewards and figure it out. I mean, it, it, if you, in any more, like if you're in the mountains and, and especially in a cabin, like everything needs to be stored in a locked metal container or stored inside. Um, otherwise they're going to get it. You can put bird feeders up in certain ways to keep bears away and then just pull them in at night. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of risky. Um, and like I said, once they're habituated for a year or two, they're just, there's really no place to put them. Um, relocating grizzly bears or black bears is very difficult. Um, they'll take grizzly bears, you know, like from Jackson to Cody or Pinedale to Cody, you know, long distances over very big mountain ranges and the bears return in a week. Um, I've taken multiple black bears, uh, 60, 80 miles away from where they got in trouble in a week, week, two weeks later, they're back. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, um, like distance isn't always a factor. So once you're highly habituated, it's very difficult to find a new place for them where they won't get into trouble. Uh, but if you're camping kind of the, the, the same thing, like just not just put your stuff back away in your truck. You know, if you have a hard topper that, that, that works, you know, and just lock your car. Um, uh, I do not right now. I have a soft topper and it's a pain in the ass where I just have to kind of, I put all the coolers and food and everything inside the truck. Uh, and then lock it. Um, and just, just trying to keep a clean camp. Like don't burn your garbage. Don't dump food, uh, in the campfire pit. Like just don't create problems for other people. Um, because once a bear is habituated to a campground, he's just going to come use it. And then, and then you don't know if you're going to be the, the, the result of other people's mistakes. Um, so just always picking up your garbage, not leaving a lot of food mess around the campground, making sure all your garbage food and coolers are stored away in your truck at night while you're sleeping. Um, I'm less concerned when I'm actually sleeping about bears coming into the tent, particularly black bears. Um, but you should still be somewhat cautious and not store food inside your tent. True grizzly bear country. You got, you have to be, you, you really, it's a different ball game. Like, Black bear country, unless you're like in some crazy thick, you know, density black bear country, you can get away with a lot more just as long as they don't have a fruit reward. Um, the grizzly bear country, I mean, it's, you need to be, you need to cook at least a hundred yards away from where you're sleeping. Um, you need to, I, even in black bear country, I hang my food because it'd just be a bummer backpacking to lose your food. Um, and you're providing that fruit reward. So I almost, I almost always hang it. I've even had rodents, um, uh, get into my food. So I just hang everything these days. Uh, but you want to make sure it's at least, uh, 10 feet off the ground. Try to get it, you know, four or five feet off, off a branch away from the main trunk of the tree. Um, and then grizzly bear country, I just kind of take it to an, a different level where you don't cook near where you're sleeping. You don't brush your teeth where you're, where you're sleeping. Um, all those food smells need to be kind of a way, um, I'm more likely to camp, um, out in the open where you can, where you can kind of see if there's a bear around. Um, and then food storage is take it, you know, a little bit a step further. Um, you can, you can, if you, you, if you can, if you have two good trees in between each other, you can throw your rope over one branch over one tree and then take it over the other tree and then throw, throw it over a branch on that tree. So you create a line between the two and then hang your food from that in the middle. 
Um, so it kind of ensures that they can't get to it. Um, that's how we used to hang the lure for bears, uh, when we're doing the, um, camera study, but even that's kind of funny. One black bear figured out that if he just climbed the tree and jumped, he would body slam the rope and rip the whole thing down. Um, so they are smart that way. Uh, I, I heard a story about those, those bear canisters, those, uh, like round blue cylinders mm-hmm. that they had one certain locking mechanism and they were testing them on, I think it was coastal black bears. Um, and they had food rewards inside and it was working. And then until one bear, uh, sat on one and popped the lid off. And then he went back to every other canister he had found and sat on them and popped the lids off. So sometimes you just deal with incredibly smart bears, but for the most part, if you just make sure you put your food away, food is stored, it's hung at night. Um, you're not cooking in your tent or by your tent, you know, um, I had everything a, will be fine. I had a question. Uh, so, uh, we've been fishing with one of Darcy's students, um, and he's going into the back country to go on a, a, a goat hunt and i think uh, yeah for goats yeah yeah and he's like i'm gonna stop vaping because he's like, <laughs> if i go out on this backcountry camp and i'm vaping the strawberry vape in my tent he's like that just seems like smoked strawberry meat to a bear he's like so i i, I think i have to stop vaping i was like well i don't know if that would I, I don't know if that would influence a bear to eat you but it's a good reason to stop so do you think that uh, uh yeah he should <laughs> He shouldn't vape anyway. He's a younger guy. He's a younger I feel like any, so, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, man. I feel like some of those studies coming out now is like, you might as well just smoke a real cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vaping. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want him vaping in my tent if I was in Grizzly Bear Country. He can, about, he can piss about, off and go somewhere else. How about like, <laughs> like, like deodorants and shampoos and stuff like that? Do you think that like... That in none of that, no. None of it, yeah. In not in grizzly, not in grizzly bear country. No, not in the tent. No way. Mm-hmm. Like there's some scents that are just going to attract the bears to your camp. So that's a whole different situation. But the key is you don't want them like, like there was a video they used to show us when I was, I was a kid. I think it was in Boy Scouts. We were backpacking in uh, Teton National Park. And I don't know if they still show the video, but it was this bear going nuts for this giant duffel bag trying to get to it that was hung in a tree. And the only thing in it was like a cherry flavored chapstick. Wow. Like, like when a bear, bears are like dogs, I mean, they can probably walk down the road and like tell you the smells from the last week. Like they, they have very good noses. So the, the, the size or quantity doesn't matter. It's just the smell of it. So like, I mean, grizzly bear country. Yeah. I mean, you don't want anything that smells in your tent. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I'm sure it's like, okay on you, but I wouldn't be storing it in the tent. Mm-hmm. I, I, if it's true grizzly bear country, like Cody, man, I just, it's not worth the risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then there's a situation where a bear, like eventually a bear is going to show up in camp and that's just a different scenario. And that is a scenario where like they're looking for a fruit reward. And it's this really kind of messed up area where like you kind of do have to be aggressive because you can't back out of that situation. Like you do not want them being comfortable in your camp. Um, so that is something where I would start I'd like flashlights and yelling at them and bear spraying them. Um, because that is a weird scenario where like they're coming in for a food reward and you don't want them there. So I, I, I have a question. Uh, we have a dog and I'm sure you've fly fished. Having your dog on a leash when you're out in the mountains fly fishing is not very appealing. Um, what kind of risks does it pose to have your dog with you in the backcountry off a leash when it comes to bears? It's also a gray area because it really depends. There's, there's definitely been maulings because you're, you're hiking down a trail and all of a sudden the bear or the dog is coming back with a bear chasing it. Um, like that, that is a real possibility. Uh, however, for the most part, uh, a barking dog, there's probably just as many or more stories where a dog has been helpful, um, by scaring away a bear. Um, I know a lot of people in grizzly bear country that hunt with dogs because they just, they, they just kind of, they get your back. Um, especially if they're good listeners. Um, one of my buddies, his granddad had a, had a buddy that, uh, he had a dog he named Howdy Bear because that dog, like he'd be doing something, the dog start barking, he turn around, there's a freaking bear coming at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he named him Howdy Bear. Like that bear, that dog always had his back. Um, I know there's some game, most of the game wardens take dogs. Um, I know the, 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 
owl game more than his dog has saved his ass several times um, from bears by kind of keeping them occupied. Um, so it's a toss up. I, I think, especially in black bear lion country, it's insanely helpful. Um, you're just not going to run into many bears or lions when you have a dog. Um, Jersey bear is a little different. You it depends on your dog. So there's, if your dog uh, starts barking at a grizzly bear and the grizzly bear is just standing, what do you do? Oh, uh, if the grizzly bear is just standing there, man, I try to leash my dog and I'm still trying to leave that situation. Cause usually it's the, like, it's the situation you just come around the corner and there's a bear and you're, you, sometimes the dog will start barking at a bear. And you didn't even know the bear was there yet. That's happened to us. Um, but if there's like a, yeah, several times. Yeah, yeah. And if there's like a confrontation where the bear and the dog are in like a standoff, man, I try to eventually get out of there. But then it's, it, you're in a weird scenario where it's like, you either got to like spray the bear, or threaten the bear and get the bear to move or like somehow get your dog and slowly remove yourself from that situation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, it's it, dealing with a grizzly bear is kind of like, especially if they're going to stand off. I mean, it's like somebody trying to get in like a bar fight or street fight. Like you should, you should always leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you should like standing your ground. just not that great of an idea until you, you know, absolutely have to. Until it leaves you no other choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That makes us feel better. I was the, 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 because for years, I don't know, around here, it was like, oh, you should, you know, you should always have your dog on a leash and the dog's just going to bring the bear and it's going to promote attacks and stuff like that. And, you know, repeated times, like, you know, whether it was our dog or we were fishing or, or hunting with somebody else's dog. And it always seems like, I'm like, I don't know what the people keep, well, I don't know why they keep telling us not to have her. And I'm like, the dog has told me that there's a bear there way before I would ever see it. Right. If there was one instance, we, yeah. were the, we were on the side of a, we were fishing for bull trout and there's like a, a huge hole and there's three of us all standing down, looking directly down the hole, in the hole. And obviously the, you know, the river's running by, you can't hear anything. We're talking to one another, looking at the bull trout, somebody's casting at the bull trout and he had a, a blue healer and the blue healer just starts freaking out, right? Like barking and we yep. all three of us look up and right above us, like, you know, 30 yards is a, is a bear looking directly down at us. If the dog wasn't there, there's no way we would have ever seen that bear. Cause you're just, you know, when you're out fishing or out hunting, sometimes you get so hyper-focused on whatever your core yeah. is, you don't see anything else. And I think that, that, that dog can really help kind of alert you. They just can see and hear and, and smell and bears are quiet. Ones. Yeah, I mean, when they want to be bears, they're so quiet. Um, well, it's, it, that's a really good example too. That river corridors and noise they can't. It changes how scent moves, and it's also loud. Like I, I have walked up on black bears next to creeks because of that, because the scent goes down with the water instead of up with the heat, and and they can't hear because of the noise. So it's definitely like in grizzly bear country next to rivers and loud noises. It's just another thing where like, they may not hear or see you coming. Um, and that's where like, that's why most hunter, most of the time hunters get involved because in bear country, there's things you can do, right? Like you can make sure the wind um, is at your back or that when you're hiking through super thick stuff um, that you're talking loud and yelling and trying to like educate that bear far ahead of time. So it's not a, accidental encounter whereas hunters are always the winds in their face the bear can't smell them they're being sneaky they're more likely to surprise a bear mm-hmm. you're these you always want you're, you you want to prevent surprising them um I, I mean so so i have two little girls like nine and seven there's no way i would camp in grizzly bear country with them without my dogs mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's just my, that's my opinion because those dogs are going to tell me if a bear is showing up in camp or not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's my opinion. So do you, we, have- I, I concur <laughs> <laughs> whether it's, uh, it's, it's part of the dog lover in me as well, but definitely I concur. I, I, I think they're safer to have around. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned mountain lions. Uh, do you want to touch on uh, just kind of what you should do if you run into a mountain lion? Yeah, mountain lions just be super aggressive with them. Um, super aggressive. They're like they're wusses when they, when you're looking them eye to eye. Uh, it's it's when when they have your back that they get brave again. And I've seen it with captive lions and lions that we've had in traps or had to deal with. 
for is, is they're, they're, they're very cowardly. If they're, if you're face to face, they don't like that. Um, most of the times when that happens, it's adolescent cats that don't know what's going on yet, but you can be pretty freaking aggressive with them. Um, but also like, you know, if you're concerned, it, it, they're, they're typically going to go after small statured, um, like so small kids, uh, females, um, they're, they're not bold critters. Like there's a chance you could run into a really older, aggressive male, but you know, like it's big male cats can kill moose and elk. Like it's possible, but for the most part, like if you run into a cat, it's either a complete accident or it's just being an idiot and you just need to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a scenario where dogs always help. Cats do not like dogs. And so, especially if you're a woman trail running and stuff, um, I would just, I would run with a dog, no doubt. And I would, I would like, I do not even think about predators when I'm in the mountains with a dog, unless it's grizzly bear country. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do just be big arms, yell at it, you just want to be aggressive with it, mm-hmm. throw stuff at it. Um, you know, there's weird scenarios where especially adolescent cats, like they'll follow people cause they're super curious. Um, he's got to be super aggressive and stay in the open. Like just stay, stay where you can kind of be out in the open. They're just young and stupid. I think the only, we haven't had too many attacks in Alberta. The last one, well, the last deadly one was a mountain biker, female mountain biker by herself. Just, oh, just, just yeah, it, 45 minutes from here in Canmore, she was biking by herself and a um, mountain lion or a cougar attacked her but it's, it's, not very it's common. so rare yeah it is rare but that's the scenario where it's going to happen um but if somehow the problem you know i guess if somehow if you don't just um uh, you know wake up dead because that's how cats work if somehow like a cat's mauling you just you have to fight back like they are not uh bold critters like you, you just gotta fight you just gotta fight them it's as simple as that like it's not going to be very fun, but um, no, it sounds like pretty much the worst fight that you could possibly, if you've ever been attacked by a house cat before, it's like, you know, they're like 15 pounds or something. And it's like the most, yeah, thing ever, it can but, be pretty awful. Yeah. I love cats, but there, you know, there's like the odd, not so pleasant. Cat yeah. and, and you're just like, oh I couldn't imagine one that's a hundred pounds or I don't, I'm not sure how many pounds a mountain lion is. Do you know? Uh, anywhere from uh, a, a really small adolescent would be like, you know, 80 to 100. Most females would be like 100, 120. A really, really big male would be like, you know, 120 to 140, but 140 is pretty freaking big. They, yeah. pro- they probably got a lot of deer meat in their belly to be. You hear stories of like 170, 180, but most likely their, their gut's just really full of food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just got to fight back because a cat is, is a very quick killer. They're going to they're, they're gonna want your back. They're going to go for the back of the neck. Like that's their goal. Like it's supposed to end quickly. And so when it doesn't, like they're quick to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with cats, you always just be super aggressive. I've also, I, I've never gotten to see, I've never even seen a lion just out and about. I have, I have run into a mountain lion before I was chucker hunting, I was bird hunting, um, and, ca- and came around the corner and there was just a mountain lion between me and my dog. Um, and then quickly it didn't seem right. And it was stuck in a, uh, uh, leg hole trap. It was, it was for a bobcat. They just accidentally caught a lion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just couldn't leave. Uh, and we were able to, um, safely remove that cat, um, from that trap, uh, which is a whole other different story. But, um, otherwise I've seen them. I've only ever seen one, one from the helicopter flying deer. Um, and otherwise they're usually under people's porches, usually trailer, trailer houses. There was a huge one here oh. outside of a, there's a hospital right on the edge of Calgary in the South. And they had to like shut down all the access cause there was, it was huge. How It was like over 200 pounds. Oh. Oh. I don't think they even said that they, they don't get that big, but yeah, it was massive. It was, it was an old, an older cat. Something had, something was wrong with it, right? Like obviously it was, it had, it was 
this sounds hilarious because it was at the hospital, but obviously it was like sick or something like that. <laughs> Not that it went there for treatment, but, yeah. but you could tell it was kind of just off, right? Like maybe it was like later on in yeah. his life or, yeah. But they had to euthanize that. that that's like, the other scenario where most predators become an issue is when they're old and their teeth are worn down and they're struggling to eat their native food. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other part where bears and lions typically become a problem, is, and it usually turns out like they're you know something's broke, you know like their jaws broke or something's wrong with them, or they're they're just so old their teeth are worn down and they can't effectively kill easy stuff anymore. Yeah, you should. Um, as far as seeing them though, you should count yourself pretty lucky if if, if you do get any get to see oh very much so event, except from a safe distance because in all the years that we've been out in the backcountry, we've seen one. And I was like, yeah, we had just talked to the fish and wildlife officer the day before about how we've never seen one. And then the next day we seen one. Yeah. <laughs> so just like That's that. Funny. Right? Yeah. 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 Anyways, uh, we don't want to keep you too long. Lee, I know you have a, a, a job and, and two young daughters you need to attend to. So I just want to thank you so much for doing this and, and hopefully you'll, you'll come on again and we can kind of get into some other stuff as well. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Yeah. Especially if, uh, we covered a lot of information. So um, if you get follow up questions, by all means. Yeah. You were super, super knowledgeable, super helpful. I learned a lot today. Um, about Lock bear- my doors and my dog's okay. A hundred percent. hundred percent. It's, uh, holy cow. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I, I don't know why I, I bet it, I probably went five years. I just thought there was a Colorado problem and then it started happening here. And now I deal with it every summer. Mm-hmm. Barry's okay. breaking into cars. So I always lock my doors now. All right. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up here and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening.